How's everyone doing this morning? Great. Okay. Well, we're going to do something. So I'm going to have everybody stand up for me one more time. We're going to pretend that we're in a Pentecostal church for just one second. So please stand. We're going to get the blood circulating in our hearts and in our minds. You're going to have one thing to say. After I make a statement, you come back with one word as loud as you can, and your word is amen. Are we ready? So I believe in God the Father Almighty. Amen. Amen. Jesus died that I shall live. Amen. Amen. Jesus made the way that I could be reconciled back to my Father. Amen. Amen. All right, let's have a seat. All right, good to go. Um, Today we're going to talk a little bit about walking by faith. And it's probably not going to be the direction that you think it's going to go in. And I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that's very popular today. And it's been very popular throughout uh, the lifespan of Christianity. And it talks about faith and hope. It comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, then verses 8 through 12. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. And even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect was, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you today and we thank you again for this opportunity that you have given us to gather in your house for the purpose of worship and praise. And Father, we ask that during this time that we receive a word from you that would benefit us in our, in our spiritual walk, in, in our physical life, that would bring us closer to you and bring peace to our hearts. Father, I ask on this day that you empty me of my desire to speak my own word, but fill me with your spirit, that every word that I would speak would proceed from your throne for the edification of your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This passage of scripture has been used so many times, I can't even count the times I've heard it. Every church, every denomination tends to fall back on this passage of scripture for one purpose or another. And a lot of times when we use this passage of scripture, we use it in reference to the natural world, to, to things that we want to see happen, that, that our passion inside is, is somehow connected directly to the will of God and, and that our hope that dwells inside of us is sometimes or somehow a promise 
from God that he's going to do what we hope for. Now, we as adults, we know that that is not always the case. That there are times that the things that we hope for just never come about, which begs the question of why was it written then? Could it be that it was not written about our earthly life? Could it be that it was written about something more eternal? Now, faith is confidence in that in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You know, in the days of the apostles, when they walked with Jesus, Jesus was always telling them about something that they couldn't see. He was always telling them or indicating to them or pointing them to a land that we have not yet entered. You see, our hope in Jesus is not that he makes life the way we want it to be. Our hope in Jesus is, is not that, that he turns every circumstance into our favor. That would be making hope a wish and God a genie that we pull out of the bottle for our own humor and our own pleasure. There's something more about this passage that, that we tend to overlook. And it's the context of hope. You see, I say all the time that hope is the belief that what God has done in the past, God can do again. And I stand fast to that meaning. And just because I know that God has done something in my life or, or in somebody else's life in the past in this world, that hope exists that he can do it for me. Again, but that is not a promise. The hope that we're looking for here goes beyond what this world has to offer. The hope that, that we stand on as Christians isn't about how to get our next paycheck or how to climb the next step on the ladder. Our hope as Christians is that, that when we leave this world, that there is a better land that we go to. That is what hope is about. It's not about the material things of this world. It is not about our pride and the things that we want to obtain and the things that we want to do. It is about our relationship with God and that his love was so great for us that, that he sent his son into this world to die, that we have life here, but, but that when we leave this world, we have another place to go to. Abraham was called on to a journey to leave his home, to, to go to a place that he wasn't told where to go. He was told to just pack your bags, Abraham, and leave and go. I'll let you know when you get there. And that journey took him to the land of Canaan. And when you believe that, that after all the hardship and all the struggle that, that Abraham and his family went through to get to Canaan, that, that once they got to that promised land, they never settled in. They never declared the land their own. They never set up and built a house or a business. They kept searching for something more. You see, I think that, that Abraham's journey to Canaan is a physical representation to us of what God has for us in the world to come. The Hebrew says that 
Abraham was looking for a city whose foundations was built by an architect. And that architect was God. And we know that that when Jesus was on the cross at Calvary, that, that as he hung between those two thieves, as one mocked and the other one asked for forgiveness, he spoke to him and he said, this day you will be with me in paradise. So I find assurance in those words that I know that, that when I leave this land, that my spirit doesn't just dwindle out into matter. That it doesn't remain with me in the grave, but, but though my body remains in the grave, my spirit goes into the presence of the Father. Paul said it this way, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There are no ifs and there are no ands and there are no buts about that. But there's more coming than we remember. There's more coming than what we realize. We hear about it all the time, but, but just like Abraham, when he got to Canaan. He didn't stop to settle in there. He knew that there was a land that was greater than what this world had to offer. And I think that when we consider our eternal life, that, that we need to think beyond the understanding of heaven as we know it. You see, when we close our eyes on this side of life and our spirit leaves our body and returns to the Father, that is not its final destination. There is a greater reward coming. And that greater reward is our hope in Jesus Christ. And we didn't first start talking about this in the great revelation of John. It started many years before when Israel was in exile and God said that, that I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Daniel began having images and visions of the life to come. He said that in the time of those kings, the God of heaven, will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. And it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will endure forever. And what, God, what Daniel is telling us here is this, that, that there's going to come a time in the life of this world that all the governments and all the kings who think they have power, who think they have control, that they will face the reality that God himself is not just the creator of our world, but the author of life. And the world that we know will be no more. And we read these revelation stories and, and somehow we become fearful because of them. 
But what we don't understand is that is a reason to celebrate that the world that we live in, the world that we know is going to be replaced by something greater. That is our hope, that, that the life that we have in eternity is better than the life we have now. And we know that that is true for several reasons. Because we know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into existence. And he created man and gave man dominion over that land. And man doing what man does best sinned and brought destruction into the world. And I think that's why Daniel says that the world to come is not going to be left over to another man but it's going to be left to one who is going to be given the authority and the power to to rule that land, to ensure that that sin doesn't come into that land and destroy it like it did one time before so that we can live in peace and happiness, that we live in health and joy without fear of growing old, without fear of death, without fear of pain and sorrow but to live in the presence of God, made whole and complete, basking in his love. And that kingdom that we haven't seen yet, that kingdom that that we look to, will be our eternal home in the presence of the Father. You see, in the early days of the church, the people were concerned that that somehow they missed the return of Christ and that they were left behind to suffer at the wiles of the world. But Paul reminded the people that the day is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will come home and gather his children. Jesus said it this way, that that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare that place, I will come back for you. But you know the way. But the people were concerned that they had missed that opportunity. But Paul reminded them in his writings that you haven't missed that opportunity. And we as Christians should should never think that we have missed that opportunity because no man knows the day or the hour Christ himself doesn't even know. When that time comes, the Father is going to turn to the Son and say, Son, go get my children. Daniel says it this way, that that the multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. We as the Christians, the church, we are the ones who will be raised to everlasting life. All of our loved ones that have already gone on before us, their bodies are only asleep just like the, the little girl at, at Jairus' house who, who Jairus came to find Jesus because he was terrified that, that his daughter wasn't going to survive. 
He went to Jesus and said, please come to my house. Because I know that if you come and you pray and you put hands on my sick daughter, then she will be okay. And as they approached the house, a member of Jairus' family comes and says, don't bother the teacher anymore because she has already passed. And this is what Jesus did. He said, if you would only believe and only have faith, then you may see the hand of God at work. So Jesus continued to the house, and, and when he got into that house, what he found was everyone was mourning and crying, and that baffled Jesus. Why are you crying about something? Why do you think that it has ended? And then he sent them out of the house, only keeping the mother and the father and James and John and Peter with him. And he went into that room where that little girl lay, and he put hands on her, and he said a prayer, and he whispered to that young girl, Stand up and walk. And when she heard the words and when she felt the authority of God moving through her body, that little girl lay down asleep no more. That little girl was risen from her sleep to walk in life again. And that is what happens to, to our loved ones who have gone on before us. When that hour comes, that, that Jesus comes out and says, Children, come home to the Father. The dead in Christ will rise first. The miracle of God's resurrecting power to be seen by not just his church, but by all the world who stand in unbelief. I think not just to, to call those people home and their resurrected bodies, but that they will be a witness to those who are left behind so, so that they may have an opportunity one more time. to come and worship the Lord Jesus. And we don't know what that miracle is that God has before us. We don't know how precious that land really is. In his great revelation, John said that I, that I see the old earth and the old heaven pass away. But behold, I see a new heaven and a new earth ascending. The restoration of life as God originally planned. And he gives us a description of what he saw. John said that as New Jerusalem, now keep in mind that, that in this world that is coming, New Jerusalem is only one city that will exist. And we know that because John described the city to us. 
He said that that city had 12 gates. And on each of those gates was inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The walls had foundations, 12 foundations. And, and each one of those foundations had the name of the apostles of the Lamb of God written upon them. Now let me ask you this. Why would a city have gates? They have gates for people to enter and to exit. In other words, it, it's indicating to us that, that the life that we have in that new world that God creates for us, the, the everlasting world, is a life of busyness. That is a life of opportunity, a, a life of hope. It is not a life where we as spirits just float around in the atmosphere. But we go and visit our relatives. We go and, and see our friends and we conduct business. It's, it's not just the institution of a new city, but it's institution of a new order of life that God has created. And he tells us that the foundations look like this. That the first foundation is made of jasper. The second of sapphire. The third, cacomedy. The fourth, emerald. Fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, crystallite. And the eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, cherophrase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. Isn't that a beautiful vision? That we are given for eternity. And it gets even better than that. Because John said that, that when he enters into that city, that he sees all the commotion, all the people, all the love, and all the life. That, that the one thing that he, he doesn't see is a temple for worship of God. And that is so because the Father and the Son dwell within the city in the presence of man. It says that that, that land is in no need of a sun or moon because the glory of God himself illuminates the world in which we will live. You see, our hope isn't in this world. And if we put our hope in the things of this world, we're going to find disappointment over and over and over again. But if we put our hope in Christ Jesus for our better tomorrow, for that time that we're called home to be with our Father, for that time that we are called home to be in the presence of our loved ones again, then we have a hope worth believing in. Do we not? Can I have an amen on that one? Jesus Christ died that we have life and have life eternal. And that is our celebration as Christians.
when we dream, let's not dream about the things that are going to pass away. When we dream, let us dream big in the hopes of that glorious day when Christ comes home to gather God's children. Now, we have a lot of work to do until that time. We have the word of God to, to spread to a community. We have acts of love to show to the less fortunate. And we have the duty and responsibility of loving and uplifting one another on this journey. But remember this. That that journey doesn't end here on this earth. And that journey doesn't end when, when we leave these fleshly bodies and our spirit goes home. And that journey doesn't end with the coming of the new world because our journey doesn't end. It continues on forever. So let me encourage you with this, that when life gets hard, remember where we're going. That when life gets difficult, remember that great reward. That when we think we have nothing to celebrate, think about the blessings that God has given us in this life and think about the mighty blessing that is coming in the days ahead. For these are the true gifts of God to his children. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather together in your house. And Father, as we prepare to move into the sacrament of Holy Communion today, help us to remember, as Christ said, the life that he lived here on this life, that we may be blessed and that we may experience your love and your forgiveness. And help us to remember the sacrifice that, that he made on the cross. That we be reconciled to you. And help us to remember that blood that was shed for our iniquities. And help us to remember that destination that you have for us. In our home beyond this life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift his upon you and give you peace.